I'm going to call upon the Lord again this morning, asking for his help and his grace. As we come around the word and around the table together, may God bless our hearts. I'm going to pray this morning for a family again over in, in our Ulster Presbytery in Northern Ireland. Uh, one of our students, uh, entering his final year, uh, his family really came through a very, and are coming through a very, very serious trial at the present time. Uh, at the end of last week, their nine-month-old son passed away uh, very suddenly. Uh, the young man who's in this college, his name is Johnny Jordan. His wife is Claire. They have an older daughter, Emily. Uh, they're part of the Margaret Falk congregation. And again, you can appreciate just the grief they've been plunged into at this present time. As this young man's entering his final year in Whitfield College of the Bible, needs the Lord's grace, the whole family. And the funeral service is tomorrow at 12 midday in our Macrofelt congregation. So please uh, do keep that family much in your prayers uh, today and tomorrow and the coming days. Uh, when you think about the work in Northern Ireland, please uh, just remember that uh, young man, his wife and family at this time. Let's all pray. Eternal God and Father, we, we come before thee today. This is your day. It's the Lord's day. You've given us this day for our encouragement, for our nourishment, our spiritual benefit. And dear Father, we're coming, as we do on this first Lord's day of the month, we're coming around the table. We're coming to consider the death of your Son, the glorious plan of redemption, whereby you have secured the salvation of your people. We thank you, Lord, for the love that is so great and so glorious. The love that drew salvation's plan and brought it down to man. We thank you, dear Father, that as we contemplate your love, we realize that your love is a love for all of the saints. We're mindful, dear Father, of a, a family plunged into tremendous grief. And we look to thee. Grant grace, we pray. I pray, O oh Lord, for Johnny and for Claire, their little daughter Emily. And for all the grandparents and the wider family, oh God, may they know your comfort. And though we are far removed from them geographically, and though this family is unknown to so many in this building, we do weep with those who weep. And we seek, O oh Lord, your face on their behalf, and that they would know the strengthening and the comforting hand of God. O oh Lord, grant grace, we pray. Bless those who are ministering to them. We think, O oh Lord, of our brother McKee, give him wisdom, give him grace and discernment in all of his deliberations with them and his care for their souls. Bless him in the funeral service tomorrow. May your presence be there. Dear fathers, we pray for them. We are thankful that we are part of a community of the saints. We're met together around the word, one body, one baptism, one faith. Even we could say one table, one body, one blood. We share in this communion, we share in this blessing, and may it be a comfort and an encouragement to your souls. We think of those again away from us today, you know the various providences that have prevented some from being in the house of God today. Uh, do keep your hand upon us throughout this Lord's Day, the, the tremendous prospect of your presence in worship and in the baptismal service and in all of these things, may we know your power and your glory. Encourage and comfort our souls and bless us for Christ's sake. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, please take your Bibles again and turn to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, returning again to this uh, portion. Of course, last month we were uh, away from the house of God here. And so we're coming back to our series in Isaiah 53. 
uh, working our way through the uh, material in this portion that points us so clearly towards our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's read together from the verse number 1, Isaiah 53, reading from the verse number 1. Who hath believed or report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Amen. May God encourage our hearts in his word again today. Uh, the text that we're going to consider in particular today is the end of verse number 53, where it says, and with his stripes we are healed. We have, of course, been considering this portion in our communion service, and as it is our desire in all times, we want to take our eyes and look towards Christ. We want to see Christ as he revealed in all the scriptures, and this portion is so abundantly evidence of God's grace and salvation in the person of Christ Jesus. It's referred to in several portions in the New Testament as clearly referring to the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ of God and the Son of God. And so as we look at this portion, we have recognized again that, humanly speaking, he was despised and rejected. They did not see his glory come unto his own, and his own received him not. But in taking our sin, we should recognize that he secures all and every spiritual blessing. We thought about the idea of peace the last time we were together in this fashion. Verse number five, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. We see the blessing of reconciliation to God as he bears our sins. But today we come to the thought of the blessing of healing. That with his stripes, the stripes of course referring to his sufferings, with his stripes or through his sufferings, we are healed. Now as we look at this challenging text today, I want to just present four necessary factual statements. And they're necessary to really help us understand this portion. Number one, sin is a disease unto death. Number two, Forgiveness is viewed as a healing. Number three, physical sickness is also caused by sin. And number four, Christ's death secures physical healing. I'm going to look at those four very briefly and we'll come to, again, our main thoughts for today. First of all, sin in the Bible is viewed as a disease unto death. Turn back to the opening chapter of this prophecy and you'll see that Again, in the scriptures, the Lord uses language of disease to picture and illustrate the nature of human sinfulness. Again, the Lord is rebuking the people of God for their sin. And in verse number 6 of chapter 1, he says, From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. 
And they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. You get language there of the necessity of healing remedies being applied to the wounds and the sores. Therefore, showing us again that sin itself is a disease unto death. It's a disease unto final, eternal death. Again, please understand, the Bible in various ways presents human depravity to our understanding. It talks at times of spiritual death and the necessity of being made alive unto God. And so rightly understood, we say, well, human depravity is not sickness, it's spiritual death. Amen. But however, at times, we should understand that there are parallels between physical illness and spiritual disease. And so don't Uh, If you like, make those things at war with each other. They are simply different metaphors to explain the nature of human depravity. We are desperately sick and defiled before God. You think again of the language of leprosy in the book of Leviticus. But while sin is a disease unto death, we should also see that forgiveness is viewed as a healing. Turn back to the Psalm 103. We sang this psalm already this morning. Psalm 103. Uh, The psalmist is stirring up his soul uh, to worship God. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. And again, it is apparent in this language that the psalmist is particularly reflecting upon those spiritual blessings. He's describing redemption. He redeemeth thy life from destruction obviously the psalmist is very aware that there are those who know and love the lord and yet they die some will even die young and so he's exalting his own soul and encouraging our souls to worship god for those spiritual benefits there's even parallelism here in verse 3 he forgiveth thy iniquities who heals all thy diseases and again the proof of that over in verse Number 12, as he sang, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And so again, you see there that if you like spiritual healing is forgiveness and forgiveness is viewed as an act of spiritual healing. But that's the spiritual side of things. Sin, a disease, a spiritual disease, forgiveness, spiritual healing But thirdly, we should also note that physical illness is itself caused by sin. So now we're thinking not so much about the spiritual realm as we are the physical and temporal realm. We know from Romans chapter 5 that there was no disease prior to the fall. By one man, death entered. Sin came into the world and death came. And so prior to the fall, there was no illness unto death. It is sin that brings illness. And that's explained. Again, you go across to Matthew chapter 9. And you'll see in Matthew chapter 9, in the verse number 2 and following, again, you have the account of the man sick of a palsy. Remember the controversy here? What does the Lord say to this man to begin with? Thy sins be forgiven thee. And again, the Pharisees, the scribes, they are uh, they're aghast aghast at their perception of the Lord's blasphemy. And so he again explains it to them. He knows their thoughts. They think evil in their hearts. 
And he says in verse number 6, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Arise, take up thy bed. Again, there are very, very many lessons in that story, in that miracle. But one of them is the fact that physical illness is indeed caused by sin. Not, again, necessarily personal sin. The man born blind in John chapter 8, it's clear. It was not a personal sin, that's not the point. But sin in general is the cause of all physical illness. And so the Lord comes and he heals people. Picturing salvation from sin, of course, but also healing souls to show his power over sin itself. Every illness is that reminder of sin. So fourthly, then, these are the, if you like, the beginning factual statements. Sin is a disease unto death. Forgiveness is viewed as healing. Physical sickness, though, is caused by sin. And fourthly, Christ's death secures physical healing. Now, this again, of course, is where things uh, get somewhat more controversial and somewhat more complicated. But the evidence, at least in my Bible, is across the page in Matthew chapter 8. And so I'm here in Matthew 9 in the story of the man sick of the palsy. And you go back across the page to Matthew chapter 8 and you will see an account of the Lord's ministry. Verse number 16. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Now listen to this. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now the Lord healed many, many people at this juncture. He has said at that time when they are coming in their masses, he healed all that were sick. The Lord never failed to heal those he intended to heal. He was never unsuccessful in his attempts to heal those who were ill. He healed all those that he chose sovereignly to heal. When the Lord healed, it was obvious. There were no doubts, no questions as to the nature of the illness or as to the cure. Clearly, some very significant differences from today's so-called healing ministries. Yet this passage leads us to some, if you like, uncomfortable thoughts in regard to so-called healing ministries. Isaiah 53 is quoted. The passage in Isaiah that refers to Christ as the servant, the suffering servant, who in his atonement dies for sins. And yet the commentary of Matthew in chapter 8 is that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Again, there's an interesting theory regarding some of the language that's used here. It seems likely that Matthew has taken the Greek translation of Isaiah 53 and corrected it to make it more like the original Hebrew. And so he's putting in a a Greek translation here of the Hebrew in verse number 17. But it is an inspired commentary of the meaning of Isaiah 53 verse 4. He had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Part, at least part of the understanding of that text is that he took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. 
The implication being that physical healing is a fulfillment of Isaiah 53. The prophecy is of Christ dying as our substitute. We see that Christ prophesied in person then healing disease in his gospel ministry. And Matthew says this fulfills Isaiah 53. How do you understand all this? We certainly argue that the effects of Christ's death continue today. When we say that souls can be forgiven by Christ, we are obviously saying that the benefits of Christ's death continues through today. But what about the healing? Does that continue? You see how the problems arise in light of our preconceptions. Well, there are lessons for us, and I'll try to answer some of those questions in the next 10 minutes or so as we come around the table. We come today as a people and we share physical and spiritual illnesses. We are those who come with our infirmities. But first of all, the ground of all healing is the work of Christ. This is the important part. Christ's death deals with every effect of sin. You go back to Isaiah 53 and you'll see the language used there. He had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions. The language is of a substitutionary atonement where Christ is dying for our sins. Now Christ, we should say, did not heal those in the Gospels, by taking their illnesses. He doesn't become sick. He doesn't take their sickness into himself so that he becomes sick and they become well. That's not what happens. So what's happening here is that he takes sin. He takes their sin, deals with the sin problem and every consequence of sin. Christ's death saves from sin. But Christ's death cannot deal with only part of the problem of sin. His death is such that it deals with every effect of sin. And there's no part and no problem of sin that is exempted from Christ's work. Again, young people, we often think of this as as four Ps. You know, there are four aspects of sin that are dealt with by Christ's death. He deals with the penalty of our sin. The guilt is removed. He dies the just for the unjust to bring us to God. He bears our curse in his body to the tree. Pollution. He cleanses from sin's defilement. We are separate from God. Sin puts apart from God. We're unclean before God. But Christ's blood cleanses from all sin. Sin's pollution is dealt with. We'll see today in the baptismal service, Christ's death deals with sin's power. The reign of sin is broken. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. The power of sin is broken. And we are free to walk with God. And finally, we think of the presence of sin. That ongoing sin that's in our souls, that is dealt with. And finally, every single consequence of sin is dealt with in the Lord's return. As death, the last enemy, is defeated. So therefore, as illness, we have said at the beginning, is due to sin, 
Then if Christ died for sin, then all illness must be dealt with in the cross. The illnesses of God's people are handled and dealt with in the cross of Christ Jesus. You see, Isaiah 53 deals with substitution and yet healing. Oh yes, we would say he heals all our souls' disease as we sing that. But I would suggest too that Calvary also points us to the fact that Christ will heal all our bodies' diseases as well. When we see the consequence of sin in ourselves, we should look to Calvary. When we see sickness and illness, we should look to Calvary. But then secondly, if that is the ground of our healing the work of Christ, what is the guarantee of healing? Well, it's in the text. With his stripes we are healed. It's, again, some of the language used in prophecy, either in past or present tense, pointing forward to the certainty of fulfillment. Again, there are somebody said to me recently, it says we are healed. Therefore, it's a present reality. But that doesn't do justice to prophetic scripture, which at times speaks in the past tense or in the present tense to denote certain fulfillment. But leaving that aside, I'm telling you, this is a guarantee. The question is when? When is this healing guaranteed? Well, not when we ask in faith. Not when a person prays over us or touches us. Those are false applications of the truth that by his stripes we are healed. And I say they are false because they're not scriptural. They're not scriptural in their warrant. You think of the Bible times. Many saints died due to illness. That's what First Thessalonians is all about. There are those who sleep. And they sleep in the Lord. You think of times when Paul leaves an individual in sickness. Second time before, we saw that in second time before. Left sick, even though he had the gift of healing. Of course, we also say that those who were healed in the Gospels, they all eventually died. So their healing, even for those who were healed, was not permanent. There was a greater significance in the pictures that were used so the physical healing in the gospel age is temporary it's a sign of christ's authority but it is also a type of the eternal healing that will be enjoyed by all of god's children physical healing is secured by christ's blood and all those under that blood will be healed They will all enjoy this healing. It is impossible, put it this way, it is impossible for one for whom Christ has died not to be risen unto eternal life in a resurrected, perfectly healed body. The resurrection is the ultimate fulfillment of his stripes healing our bodies and souls. We are those who groan. Romans chapter 8, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. We, we long for that God shall indeed one day wipe every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death, nor any more pain. Those things are gone. Eternal, painless, immortal existence in those glorified, healed, spiritual, incorruptible bodies. Christ's death secures that. 
If you are plagued with illness, it is a gift from God to make you long for that day. That you would see every single day in your body the consequence of sin. And you would look to that glorious day. Oh, how I groan for that day, the redemption of my body. Often we come to the table and we're very aware of our physical pains and weaknesses. Before us are the emblems of Christ's death. That point to the blessed truth that our sin is dealt with. So the ground of our healing is the work of Christ. The guarantee of that is in this text. But thirdly and finally, very briefly, how do we get this healing? You know the answer, don't you? It's found by going to Christ. Like the two blind men who followed Christ cried unto him, Thy son of David have mercy on us. As in every aspect of our salvation, we see how undeserving we are and we cry out for mercy. We have no merit, no worth in ourselves. Simply go to Christ. We don't deserve your gift of healing, but we cry unto you for it. And so in our desire to know freedom from every consequence of sin, we must look to the Savior. You see, out of Christ, what awaits? You see, there are some of you who may say, well, the dead in Christ rise, but those outside of Christ also rise. Are they healed? And of course, in the language of the Bible, their resurrection is not a resurrection unto healing, because they will encounter what? The second death. So they are not healed. But they are subject to eternal death. As the saints of God are subject to eternal life. So those outside of Christ are subject to eternal death. This healing is for all those and only for those who run to Christ. Get to Christ today. We're here. Have you come to Christ? Then rejoice that he has dealt with every aspect of sin. Rejoice in that as you receive the elements today. Rejoice in your soul that Christ has paid it all. And I'd like to put it this way. He has paid it all for every effect of sin. There's nothing that Christ has not dealt with in his cross. Praise his name. May the Lord encourage us to take these elements again by faith today. We'll sing before we come uh, to the elements Sing the hymn number 148. Now teach me what it meaneth that cross uplifted high with one the man of sorrows condemned to bleed and die. 148, and we'll stand together, please, as we sing again to the Lord. <laughs>